It's our prayer that you will see and embrace the beauty of Christ that we, uh, that we enjoy and find yourself captivated by him as well. Uh, just want to say thank you real quick to our Sunday school teachers. Uh, that we had a meeting the other morning. And uh, again, if you're still interested in being a Sunday school teacher, uh, if you will come uh, see me, uh, we're still looking for some teachers, substitute teachers, anybody that can uh, help out. Uh, also, real quick, too, uh, if you haven't downloaded our app, uh, there's a small QR code uh, in the pew in front of you. Uh, if you want to download our app, actually this morning, um, uh, Pastor Chad's sermon notes uh, will be on there this morning at the bottom uh, where you can follow along and do some uh, fill in the blank stuff as well uh, with the uh, sermon notes. So. Thank you, Travis. Let's stand together as we read from God's Word. Luke chapter 14 is where we'll be um, this morning. We're going to read Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, Is it permitted in the law to heal on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. We see this over and over throughout the Gospels. We've seen it in Luke's Gospel. Uh, people getting uptight when Jesus shows mercy on the Sabbath, and yet the, mercy, the Sabbath was made, Jesus said, for man, not, not man for the Sabbath. And so uh, Jesus, again, gets their attention at the beginning of this account uh, with a healing on the Sabbath. That's all we're going to say about verses 1 through 6. We'll come back to 7 through 24 uh, at the time of the message, which says, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead... Take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent to his servants to tell the guest, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. We're going to be talking this morning about the gracious banquet of God's kingdom. And if you know Christ today, you and I are going to have a seat at that table. By His grace and by His mercy alone, we will sit at that table. I'm so thankful that we know the gospel, that we have the privilege and the joy of knowing the truth of of what Jesus has done for us, who He is, and who we are in Him. But so many around us, neighbors, co-workers, family members, don't yet know Him. I want us to pray that we will be faithful to share Christ with them. But I also want us to pray for the unreached uh, all over the world. We we pray for one people group uh, every Sunday morning. this morning, we're going to pray for the southern Pashtun people in Iran. In Iran. Uh, this is a Muslim people group, 162,000 of them. They're actually Afghani people who have fled to Iran for work and uh, to, to, to escape the fighting uh, there in Afghanistan. There are no known believers among them, and so we want to pray that God would penetrate the, the southern Pashtun people in Iran with the gospel. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you for the beautiful picture of salvation and your kingdom that you paint for us in Luke 14. We praise you, Lord, for the grace and the graciousness of our future because of Christ. Lord, to think that people like us, sinners all, Lord, that we can be seated at the feast of grace with Christ in the Father's presence forever. We praise you. But God, how we pray for those that we know who don't yet trust Christ. Lord, make us compassionate and bold witnesses to those that we know. Lord, open our mouths and our hearts to share Christ with them. And Father, for the Southern Pashtun people, we pray that God however you may work it, that you would penetrate their people group with the gospel. They might hear of the beauty of Jesus and the grace, the free grace of of God in Christ. Lord, this morning we want to pray together for the family of Bill Kellett. Father, we lift up the family of Maddie Young. We rejoice in answered prayer, but continue to lift up Miss Ruth Jones. Father, we pray for Matt Doyle, uh, and just thank you for answered prayer there, and that he's home um, after such a bad accident. We pray for John Carter and Sandra Swain. We lift up Paula Jordan, Lord, and pray that you continue to give strength there, and uh, just be with Tony as, as he's dealing with that with his mom. We pray for Mike Brubaker. Lord, we pray for B.J. Clampett, who'll have surgery tomorrow. And Father, we also pray for comfort for the family of uh, young man Andrew Gooch. Lord, I thank you that you see and know all of these families and situations and individuals, Lord. You are present there. I pray that you would make your presence known 
Father, I pray that salvation would come where that's the need, even as you heal their bodies. Lord, I pray for comfort and strength for these that are grieving. And Lord, we pray you'd use us to minister to, to any of these that we have opportunity to do so. Father, thank you for the freedom and the privilege to be gathered in this place, to lift high the name of Jesus. And Lord, may we find true satisfaction in him. Glorify yourself, we pray. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Remain standing as we sing. We're glad you joined this morning. We're going to sing His Mercy is More.
temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand up just as desperate in this moment for your grace as we've ever been and yet secure in your grace because you have come and taken hold of us and by grace declared us righteous and then indwelt us by your spirit and day by day you are transforming us into the likeness of Christ until we see you And on that day, we'll never not see you again. What grace, what mercy that's reached, as we sang earlier, even the vilest offender, God, you and mercy have and can even today save. Lord, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes to the riches of your grace. That we would see the beauty of your lavish love and mercy towards us in Christ. And that as a result, we would praise you, we would worship you with our lives. And included in that, Lord, that we would extend that grace to others. That we would love and serve others just as freely and lavishly as you have given to us in Christ. Lord Jesus, by your spirit and through your word, be our teacher. Give us grace to hear, receive, and be transformed by your word now, we pray. For you are worthy of all of our worship. 
And I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today who's yet to trust Jesus, that today would be the day they come and take the free gift of the gracious banquet of salvation, even in simple faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, we will be looking, uh, just working our way through verses 7 through 14 this morning. Luke 14, we'll be looking in just a moment at verses 7 through 14. Babette's Feast is a short story by Karen Blixen, who wrote under the pseudonym Isaac Dennison. Maybe you've heard that name uh, in literature. The story, Babette's Feast, is set in the late 1800s, and it focuses on the family of a priest in a small Norwegian village. He founded a strict sect sect of Lutheran believers who denied the value of earthly things and whose teaching so impacted his two daughters that they chose to forego a future beyond their little village. When their father died, these two sisters continued to lead this small group of ascetics, that is, those who were living in really extreme self-denial. But one day, a French woman collapsed on their doorstep. She had fled France, Uh, it was the time of the Revolution, the Civil War, and she'd fled from there. Her name was Babette, and she carried a letter from one of the two daughters' former suitors, hoping that she would find refuge in the village, and indeed she did, but that letter also said, Babette can cook. Since this group of uh, folks distrusted anything more than a simple meal, they only wanted Babette to cook and prepare their regular diet of boiled cod and a thin gruel. And that was all they ate. And so for the next 12 years, Babette worked for them. She fed the poor in the town and took over all the cooking and uh, housekeeping chores. But then one day... A letter arrived for Babette from a friend in France. Since she had left some 12 years ago, her friend had every year renewed Babette's number in the French lottery. This year, her ticket won 10,000 francs. Which in the late 1800s would have been an awful lot of money. The two sisters somewhat reluctantly congratulated her because they fully expected her to take that money and go home, back to France. Babette asked the sisters, though, for a favor. She said, before I go, allow me to prepare a real French meal for you to mark the 100th anniversary of your father's birth. They were somewhat reluctant because, again, they ate boiled cod, and 
a gruel made out of boiling bread. I mean, I mean, they ate nothing that tasted worth a flip. Y'all with me? She said, let me make you a real French meal. And so for weeks, Babette made preparations for a wonderful feast for the 11 members of the sect who remained alive. For weeks, things started showing up in this little Norwegian village that the people had never seen. One of the highlights was a massive turtle showed up, alive, for the turtle soup. Baby quail, alive, were brought in for this feast. At the celebration, because they believed it was the right way to act when they ate, which was only a utilitarian endeavor, they sat silently at first. But the meal had an almost magical effect on them as course after course. Aperitif after aperitif came out and, and their tongues were loosened. A confession actually took place right there at the feast table and a broken relationship was healed. Two feuding women began speaking to one another again. There was one visitor at the table who was not part of the original group, a general named Lawrence. And as this unbelievably fine French meal was unfolding, and, and whether they liked it or not, they were all beginning to enjoy the meal, the general stood and made a toast in which he captured the heart of God's grace. He said, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and bliss shall kiss one another. There comes a time when your eyes are opened and we come to realize that mercy is infinite. We need only await it with confidence and receive it with gratitude. And that toast so captures the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His mercy is infinite, and we only need await it with confidence. Do you believe in the mercy of God? Do you believe Christ paid it all for you and receive it with gratitude? Well, in the end, when the story or the movie, depending on whether you're reading or watching Babette's Feast, we learn that Babette had once been a famous chef in Paris's finest ref restaurant, Café Anglaise, where she had every day prepared such feast for the residents of Paris. And we learn that she never went back to Paris because, as she says in the movie, a proper meal at Café Anglaise for 12 people cost 10,000 francs. Philip Yancey, who relates this story to us in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, makes this statement about Babette's Feast. It's a communion scene. Babette's Feast opened the gate and grace stole in. If I care to listen, I hear a loud whisper from the gospel that I did not get what I deserved. I deserved punishment and got forgiveness. I deserved wrath and got love. I deserved debtor's prison and got instead a clean credit history. I deserved stern lectures and crawl-on-your-knees repentance. But I got a banquet. Babette's feast spread for me. I want to talk to you this morning from Luke chapter 7, 
or Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 24, about the gracious feast of the kingdom. That's what we see unfolded here in the words of Jesus. Here's the truth I want you to take home with you. We show the world the grace of God when we lovingly serve and lavishly give to those who are the furthest in the world's eyes from God because only those of us who can't repay him find a seat at God's banquet table. We show the world the grace of God Maybe best when we lovingly serve and lavishly give to those furthest from God because only those of us furthest from God, only those of us who can't repay Him find a seat at God's banquet table. There's three truths I want you to see from our text this morning about the gracious feast of God's kingdom. First of all, in verses 7 through 11, the way up in God's kingdom is, is to go down. The way up in God's kingdom is to go down. Down. Verse 7, when Jesus noticed that all had, who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed. And you'll have to take whatever seat's left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend... We have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. Now, so far, this is just good social advice, right? I mean, none of us wants to be humiliated in a crowd, right? Y'all tracking everybody, everybody awake? Yeah. So, so, just good social advice so far. So, very simple. Don't assume a place of honor. Start low, and maybe you'll be moved up later. Maybe you'll get a better seat later, but start low. A whole lot better to be exalted and, and honored than humiliated. Amen? Everybody, everybody together on that? You got that? But see, there's more to it in Jesus' mind than just social advice and how to conduct yourself at a fancy wedding banquet. Because verse 11 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus isn't just talking about wise social etiquette here. He's beginning to talk about God's kingdom. It's not the only time we hear Jesus talk this way, is it? Just a few chapters later in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, we'll hear him uh, talking in, in, in form of a parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. By the way, why would you sit at the best seat? Because you think you deserve to, right? Y'all tracking with me? If, if you sat in the best seat, why? Because you, you would think, I would think, I mean, the reason I would actually do that is because I thought I deserved to sit there. So he told them this parable, Luke 18, verse 9, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I, that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be 
exalted. You see, it's, it's real simple in the kingdom of God. The one God justifies is the one who knows and humbly admits that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. The one who prays like the Pharisee will never be justified by holy God. Never. They'll never even ask. Because they don't think they need grace. They think they've got an end with God because of their supposed righteousness. No one will ever be made right with God without this kind of humility before holy God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. The way up in God's kingdom is to go down in humility. And so if you're here today and you've never met Christ, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, it's so simple and it's a free gift, but it requires this sort of humility. It requires you admitting what the Bible says, agreeing with God that you are a sinner before holy God in need of a Savior. It requires you getting low enough to say, without your help, God, I am doomed to justly be punished by your holy wrath because I am full of sin. You've got to come to that place. And then you have to simply, in that place, look to Christ God, the Bible says, set forth Christ as a propitiation for your sins and mine. In other words, God gave His own Son to be the full payment for the sins of all who will ever believe in our place. And on His Son, He poured out all of His wrath against my sin and yours. So that now, God can forgive me, a sinner, God can make me right with Him. Declare me even righteous, Romans 3 tells us, before holy God. How? How can that possibly be? Jesus was the payment for my sin. Jesus was. We sang it this morning, Joe. Jesus is my righteousness. My only defense, my righteousness, is Jesus. And so if you'll admit you're a sinner, if you'll believe that Jesus, this is who He is, this is what He's done, and if you'll confess with your mouth, if, you'll, if, if, you, if you're willing to... With, with, with boldness, look at this world. Look at, look at whoever, whoever it is that you can tell and say, Jesus is my Savior. I need a Savior, and Jesus is the one and only Savior. And I'm going to follow Him as my Lord. Then you can know Him today. The way up in God's kingdom is to go down. But once you go down in humility before holy God and the Lord Jesus Christ, He will exalt you in Christ. And Christ will be your righteousness. Secondly, in verses 12 to 14, notice the instruction here is this. In God's kingdom, we should invite those who can't repay us to our life's party. Invite those who can't repay you to your life's party. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors by the way, probably the only people that were there at this particular moment, right? Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus has been tearing this meal apart from the beginning. He, he does this Sabbath healing we read about in verses 1 through 6. And then he starts telling them, look, don't be looking for the best seats, because he, he, he observed that's exactly what they're doing. Now he turns to the host. And he said, your guest list for this meal is all messed up. Like, you, you, you did this all wrong. 
Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you. God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. You see, we show the world the grace of God when we lovingly serve and lavishly give to those furthest from God. And I use that phrase, furthest from God, in terms of the world. Those people that that the world would perceive are the furthest from God. And so here's the question for you. Here's the question for me. If you think of your life and your relationships as a party, who's invited? With whom do you share your life, your time, your meals, your hospitality? You want to get people's attention in America in 2021? Then just practice hospitality. It's a dying art and practice. In our day, any kind of community, hospitality, any of that is countercultural, right? had several conversations about this lately. It's just it's funny that I've been talking to different people about this. A Harvard professor chronicled sociologically and statistically the decline in hospitality in the last few decades. He wrote a book about it called Bowling Alone. The whole lot of the premise of the book is uh, bowling leagues are all but gone. Now if you do bowl, you do it alone. <laughs> uh, kind of describes our world in a, in a picture. Some of his statistics say things like this, the number of people playing cards together is down 25%. That's not a big deal to me because I never played cards. Having a social evening with a neighbor is down 33%. Having friends over to your home is down 45%. And you're nodding. Why are you nodding? Because you haven't been over to anybody's house lately. And you're also nodding because you hadn't had anybody over to your house lately. Right? We just don't do this anymore. I think even the church of Jesus is hungry for fellowship and the community that that kind of thing produces. But don't miss it here. Jesus takes this deal to a whole nother level. We're just talking about basic, normal interaction with your neighbors and, if you will, societally speaking, your equals. But Jesus takes it to a whole Another level. J.D. Greer says, sometimes when it comes to this issue of hospitality, people misunderstand it as just hanging out with Christians. A perfect southern living home. But the word hospitality in Scripture literally means to welcome the stranger. Fellowship is when you hang out with all your Christian friends, and that's great, and you need to do that. As we've already said, we're not doing enough of that as a church or as the people of God in America today. But biblical hospitality is when, in addition to those friends, you invite strangers to hang out with your friends so that they, too, start to become no longer strangers but friends. Jesus lived this way. He hung out with sinners and prostitutes, with Zacchaeus. The point was not that he had more in common with them than with religious people. The point is, he had less in common with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, but he hung out with them anyway because that's what God is like. And God wants to bring his healing and salvation to those who are on the outside. 
while we were still what? Nice, good, clean folks that God could easily love. While we were still sinners, enemies of God, God demonstrated His love toward us and gave His Son. We show the world the grace of God when we lovingly serve and lavishly give to those furthest from God. Check this out. And I'm, I'm dead serious when I say this. I'm convinced that Gilmer County won't be one from Christ through this or any other pulpit. But rather through conversations at your dinner table and in your family room or at least through meals and time spent somewhere with those who don't know Christ. Jesus says, invite those who can't repay you to your life's party. Why? Because, thirdly this morning in verses 15 to 24, because only those of us who can't repay him find a seat at God's banquet table. Why should we invite those who can't repay us to our table? Because that's how it is with us and God. We're those who don't deserve to sit at his table, and yet he has drawn us in. He's called us to himself. He saved us by his grace in Jesus, and we have a seat at his table. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. By the way, the guy that said this was pretty sure he was going to be there, although that's questionable. He was pretty sure he was going to be there because he was a Jew, and he's, he's just assuming, of course, all of us Jews, we're good. We're the good chosen people of God. We're going to be there. Well, we saw last week, wrong. <laughs> wrong. Not without trusting Christ. Not without coming through the narrow door of Jesus will you be there. And that's not just true for Jesus, it's true for anybody. And so Jesus said, you know what, I'm glad you bring up the kingdom of God because that's where I've been going all along in this whole passage, these two different stories I've told you so far. The whole point is the kingdom, so let's talk about it. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guest, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And the parallel to the Jews, even to this guy that just was running his mouth, was not missed on them. He, they understood what Jesus was saying. They understood they were, he was talking about them. They all began making excuse, excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. What verses 16 through 20 show us is this. The religious and socially powerful reject grace. It's always been that way. The religious and socially powerful reject grace. Again, these are people who have it all together in their world. Whether that be the religious world, the church world, whether that be the, the social society at large, uh, government or, or politics or whatever it may be, whether there's power or money and, and they have a place, the gospel is just unpalatable because, again, they are not the kind of people that go low. They don't go down. They don't bow. They don't talk about what awful people they are in need of a Savior. 
nothing new. Grace offends those who have it all together and are doing a lot of good stuff at church or in their community. You see, to need a Savior is offensive to the powerful, to the self-sufficient, to folks who are self-made. Of course, these self-righteous and proud folks refuse grace ever so respectfully and politely and yet rather pathetically and worse, insultingly. Did you catch it there? Listen to their excuses. I mean, these are lame excuses. You bought a piece of lamb without checking it out. I don't think so. Like you never walked the property before you bought it, but you bought it, and now you need to go check it out? Really? You bought five pairs of oxen. Can I just translate? Five tractors. You bought five tractors, David, but you never drove them. Never made sure they'd crank. Never, never, never felt what kind of horsepower they had, where they could get your job done. Really? You got married. But your wife, unlike any other wife on the planet, your wife does not want to get dialed up for a night on the town and go with you to the equivalent of a five-star restaurant. <laughs> I don't think so. They took the host of the banquet for a fool. But he was no fool. And he would not be deterred from extending the grace of his home through his table to those all around him. Verse 21 says, The servant returned and told his master what they had said. All these lame excuses. His master was furious. But notice, notice, his master was furious. But notice what he does. He doesn't worry about those. Those, those folks, will get, he'll take care of them later in his anger. But for, for the here and now... Remember, there's, there's, there's a banquet spread. Hello? There is this gracious table ready. Like the food is on the table. And so he says, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. What I want you to see from verse 21 is this. The unclean and social outcasts gladly receive grace. Those who are broken and know it. Those folks who know they're sinners and know they need a Savior. Gladly receive grace. Some of them, like maybe some of us once were, have grown weary of the hard way of sin. Scripture says the way of the transgressor is hard, and it is. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and makes you pay more than you want to pay. That's so true. Some of them have grown weary of the hard way of sin, but they don't know there's a feast of grace waiting on them. But as soon as someone tells them about it, as soon as someone talks to them about Jesus, they're all in quick. Have you seen that happen? Sure you have. Maybe it happened to you. Maybe you were that person who was living so far from God, but when you heard that grace is extended even to you, God loves even you, you ran to Christ. And you've never looked back. The unclean and social outcasts gladly receive grace. 
But you see, someone, you and I, must be willing to get close enough to them, even if it hair lips our nice, clean, churchy friends, in order for them to hear the gospel of Jesus. Again, Jesus. You know what Jesus was, was accused of being? They called him a, a drunk and a glutton. Why? Because he hung out with who? Drunks and gluttons. They called him not in, 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 in a way that maybe how we think about it when we hear this. They called him a friend of sinners, and it was a derogatory term. Joe, we sing a wonderful hymn, Jesus, friend of sinners. But we sing it to the glory of God that he is our friend. When they called Jesus a friend of sinners, it was, it was, it was a slam on Jesus. Just know it's not going to be different from you if you hang out with sinners. That's the way people are going to look at you. There may be church people that look at you like that. They may whisper about you, but let me just say something. Be more, be, be more worried about being like Jesus, amen? And the soul of those the world rejects, sometimes maybe even the church rejects, be faithful to get them the gospel. Verse 22, after the servant had done this, he comes back and he said, there's still room for more. Man, I like that phrase. What if God had said he was done? And I understand the sovereignty of God, believe me. We could talk days about that. And so just, just, this is just from our perspective. But what if God had decided heaven was full before January, the whatever day it was, 1977, when he saved me? In my living room, I was homesick, and my church had a TV ministry, and uh, there was a Gideon, Jim's not here today, uh, our, our resident Gideon. There was a Gideon preacher, and his name was Jim Barry, and he preached the gospel. And God saved me that day. Man, I'm glad there's still room. And there is still room for you. There's still room for more. So his master said, I mean, he's already gone into the streets, into the alleys. He's already, he's already gotten, listen, he's already gotten all the nasty people out of the city. Okay, you're with me? They're at the table. There's still room for more, okay? Go out into the country lanes behind the hedges. Go out of the city walls. Get outside the city, out there in the boonies, and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. Do you not hear the grace of God? The love of God. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Verses 22 to 24 show us this. Those furthest from God can be persuaded to come and enjoy His grace. Those in the grip of other religions of the world, especially in our day, Islam. And those who are so perhaps deep in a jungle somewhere, like I just recently was able to visit, that they've never had a chance to hear about Jesus. They don't have the scriptures in their language. All of these, listen to me, they can be reached and persuaded by the good news of Jesus to come enjoy God's grace, but we must go. Why do we pray for an unreached people group every Sunday? Because there are still 6,500, 6,500 unreached people groups in the world today. Stay with me on this. 
This is not the time to tune out. You need to hear this. If you lined up all the people in those groups in a single file line, they would circle the world 25 times. Can you imagine a line of 25 people wide? And so just, just think, basically these middle two sections, right? Probably about, just take these two pews and put them together. A line that wide that wraps the whole world. Trampling hopelessly to destruction. Now, if you're like, Chad, I don't know where you got that. I'm not sure that's actually accurate. Well, I did some math this morning in the early morning hours. And, and, and I, I looked it up. Circumference of the earth. Just call it 25,000 miles around. Then I figured out how many feet were in a mile. Y'all tracking with me? I broke it down. If every person had one foot to stand on, one you know, foot of space, it's exactly right. Because there's 3.3 billion unreached people in the world. So you go home and do the math and you can figure it out and you'll come up with 3.3 billion is exactly how many it would take. That's how many there are. That's the highways and hedges. And Jesus says to you, he says it to me, there's still room for more. Go. Go get them. You ever notice something about the Great Commission? He doesn't just say, you know, there's, there's a select few of you who are called to reach the nations, the unreached of the world. That Great Commission thing, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it, it's for me, it's for you. The deal is, we're either a goer in fulfillment of the Great Commission, or we're a sender. There is no third option except disobedient to the Great Commission. J.D. Greer says, unless you see your life as something primarily, primarily to be leveraged for God's kingdom and the poor, lame, and blind, you're not a disciple of Jesus. Now, that's strong. If you don't see your life as something to be leveraged for the kingdom of God, to reach the, lime, the lame, the crippled, the blind the people in the highways and hedges of unreached people groups, if you don't see your whole life as a thing given to you by God to be leveraged to get the Great Commission accomplished, then perhaps we're not actually a disciple because this was the commission given by Jesus to all of us who claim to be His followers. And by the way, if you hadn't already picked up on this, every single one of us who is a Christ follower today, was poor, crippled, blind, and far, far, far away from the Father's table. Amen? Every single one of us. Only those of us who cannot repay Him find a seat at God's banquet table because we're the only ones who come low enough to, stay, to say to God, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Only those who know they are poor, crippled, and blind, and far, far from God in sin, and, and only they will be forgiven and made right with God through Christ. Receiving His righteousness and redemption as a gift through simple but wholehearted faith in Him. We show the world the grace of God 
when we lovingly serve and lavishly give to those furthest from God because only those of us who cannot repay, who were once far from God, find a seat at God's banquet table. God told John of this never-ending, eternal banquet in the Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. John says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, John says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And so it is. This is the gracious banquet of God's kingdom. You and I, if we know Christ, we have a seat and will forevermore have a seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Does that blow your mind? And by the way, Babette put on a really good feast. It's a meal anybody would die to have here on earth. But the feast we're talking about, the feast for our souls that we will enjoy for eternity, we don't even have the taste buds to fully enjoy it yet. But when we see him, when we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we sit down and pull up a seat to the table of Almighty God forever, we will taste with new tongues. We will savor the flavor of His grace like never before, and we'll feast forever. Forever. And this morning as we come to the Lord's table, we come to a foretaste of the gracious feast of the kingdom of God, a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb as we come humbly to feast on God's grace, may we commit to spend our lives sharing the feast of His grace through this relational hospitality we've been talking about to those, to those the world rejects and who are like we once were furthest from God's table, inviting them to join us in eternity at the marriage supper of the Lamb through faith in the Lord Jesus today. For as Jesus said, as God said to John, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, hear the words of 1 Corinthians, 20, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, that is the church at Corinth, are weak and ill, and some have died. God had judged his people because they played games around the table. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, 
all kind of crazy stuff. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what's Paul saying? He says, partake in a worthy manner. What does that mean? Does that mean that unlike everything else I've just said in this message, you can somehow become worthy of the blood of Christ, the broken body of Jesus, that somehow you're worthy and can be worthy to enjoy the salvation of God? No, not at all. It means how we partake can show the worth of Jesus. And so the way to come to this table in a worthy manner is to come fully dependent on Christ and Christ alone. To come fully dependent on the broken body and shed blood as the full and final and everlasting payment for your sins. To come depending on Jesus as your only righteousness, as your only defense before holy God, as your sure and strong and eternal defense and righteousness. And so if you come simply believing that, that, that reality, that amazing truth about Jesus then you'll show the worth of the sacrifice he made on your behalf. Would you pray with me? So, Father, now, in my heart and in each heart of your people, search us. Prepare our hearts. God, if any sprout of self-righteousness has grown up in our hearts, Through the gospel that's been preached, kill it right now. By your spirit, remove it from our hearts. Bring us back to that low place. Now we freely and freshly admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Father, if there's some sin, something that we're loving right in this moment more than we're loving Jesus, then I pray you would root that out of our hearts by your word and by the Spirit. That as we come to this table, we would come treasuring Jesus above all things. Trusting Him and Him alone, nothing of ourselves. Singing that song we sung earlier, He is my one defense, my one righteousness. And even as we come, may we glorify Christ. May we commune with Christ. May we feast at the gracious banquet of your kingdom, anticipating the everlasting marriage supper of the Lamb and committing ourselves to go out and extend your gracious feast in this world. to give our lives, time, resources to those the world rejects. Those enchained in sin today, may we give them our time, our relationships. May we sit at the table with them, and then, Father, may we go and be willing to go even to the ends of the earth that those furthest from the table may have the opportunity to hear. They have the word in their language that they might hear the gospel and believe in Christ. 
Father, make it so in our hearts. And in it all this morning, be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. A little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said this, For I I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The night before he died, Jesus transformed the Passover of the Jewish nation into the Lord's table. And he said, the bread represents what's fixing to happen tomorrow when I die on the cross and my body is broken and torn. The cup, the cup of wine represents my blood that will be freely spilled out and shed. My life will be given for your redemption. And the new covenant of grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation and righteousness, all made possible through me, it's represented in the cup. And Jesus said, when you eat it and when you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done. Do it for my glory. Do it in a way that's worthy. Paul would say, showing that you trust Christ and Christ alone. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we come to the table in just a few minutes, you're going to be preaching the second sermon of the morning. You're going to be proclaiming the Lord's death to anybody in the room who's yet to trust him. If you're a believer and you come and partake of this, this table's for believers. We've already talked about that. This table's for those who treasure Christ above all things, who rest in his finished work alone. So as you come and partake, you're going to be saying to any in the room, any join us by live stream who have yet to trust Christ, the only thing that can sustain your soul is Christ. It's Christ. And this symbolic taking and eating of a piece of bread and drinking grape juice is a picture of that our souls must feast, our hearts must feed on the gracious banquet of the kingdom of God, which is Christ. And so this morning, I invite you to come to the table. The way we're going to do this is the worship team leads. We're going to start over here. Betsy will lead the way. And you can partake in one of two ways. You can partake via COVID cup. Okay? The all-in-one little packets right here. Just pick one of those up and, and altar's open. You can return to your seat, whatever. Or I'm going to be standing right here. And we're going to do post-COVID communion this morning, too. So I'm going to have a, a goblet of grape juice uh, you can pick up a piece of bread. There is a, where the crackers are laying here in this back plate. That's a gluten alternative if you need that. Just pick up a piece of bread. You can dip that in the, in the grape juice as I serve you, and, and you can partake that way. However you want to do it this morning, but I invite you to come to the table and with all of your heart, feast on the gracious banquet that God spread in the work of Jesus Christ. Who reigns? Paul said every time we do this, we do it until he comes. He can't come if he's not alive. He rose from the dead on the third day. He reigns today, and he's coming to take us home.
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Come to the table.
serve, please please come on down and partake. Anyone else not, not yet been served? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he is coming to take us home. All God's people said... Amen. Amen. Remain seated for just a moment as Travis comes and shares just a few announcements uh, before we dismiss this morning. Good morning again. Um, just a few announcements and we'll be good to go. Um, so again, the app uh, and the website. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, we have a new app. Uh, for our church. It's where you can go on and uh, view our services. Uh, it's also what we're going to use to communicate. So uh, the text messages and emails that we've been sending, it'll now come through the app um, as a, as a pop-up of the app, uh, as well as a prayer wall where you can keep up with uh, some of the stuff that we have going on. Uh, also starting this month, the company is rolling out a uh, communication side of it to where Sunday school groups and, and uh, stuff like that can communicate uh, via a, a tech service that's uh, on that. So uh, look for that. If you haven't downloaded the app, uh, there's a QR code in your um, pew, and it's also on our Facebook page. Or if you need help with it, just come see me afterwards. Uh, we're hoping for everything, including the website, to uh, go live uh, by September 1st, so a month from today. So uh, quarterly foreign mission offerings uh, uh, for this quarter uh, totaled... Uh, $3,428, um, so praise the Lord for that um, mission offering. Um, the missions committee, uh, uh, tomorrow uh, you'll have a meeting uh, at 6.30. Uh, the uh, youth volunteer meeting will be Tuesday uh, at 6.30 p.m. 
Uh, it's not going to be at the pool house. It will be here. Uh, it will be here at church. Uh, so, again, that's uh, Tuesday at 630. Um, the August churchwide prayer service is going to be this Wednesday at 630 here at church. So, again, the uh, churchwide prayer service this Wednesday at 630. Uh, the men's ministry breakfast uh, will be this Saturday uh, at uh, 8 o'clock uh, a.m. Uh, here at the church. Um, and then uh, next Sunday, it's our 128th anniversary for homecoming. Uh, the service uh, is going to start at uh, 10 a.m. at the um, uh, cemetery for a remembrance service. And then at 1045, uh, David Aiken will leave us, uh, lead us in a uh, conference and service here at 1045. Um, so uh, we're going to have a lunch to follow the worship. So uh, the meat and potatoes will be provided by uh, the church. But if you'll bring a dish or a dessert to add to the meal, we'll, we'll serve those as well. So, uh, and that's this coming up week. Uh, the August conference is going to be Sunday, August 22nd, uh, immediately following the worship. Um, and then Stackstone classes. Uh, this is the uh, membership class, the new membership class. Uh, there will be two sessions. Both sessions are required. It's going to be August 22nd from 4 to 6 and August 29th from 4 to 6. If you haven't signed up for the class, but you're interested in attending, uh, gives you background about a church, who we are, and what we believe. Um, it will be, um, if you haven't signed up yet, you can see Chad, and uh, Chad will be glad to give you some information on that. Uh, the International Learning Center uh, is going to start back again on September 12th. Uh, this is a, a ministry where people, uh, uh, international folks, come to learn English. Uh, they provide homework help and uh, fun to school children up to uh, grade six, as well as a, a nursery for babies. Uh, if you're interested in serving, uh, especially in the nursery, uh, please see Chad. Um, also, if you're interested in, uh, in, in these classes or know someone that might be interested in these classes, uh, reach out, let them know, and have them talk with uh, Chad, and they can get more information um, uh, about the uh, uh, ILC, and I believe Sheila has some stuff to share about the ILC. I will keep this short. But last week, Sylvia shared wonderfully uh, about ILC, and she also gave you an invite to anyone who is willing to serve. Um, Kim and I, I don't think Kim is here. Kim Jordan was my assistant. We thoroughly enjoyed, how long has it been, two years now? Two years, we only had one year, okay, year and a half. But we thoroughly enjoyed our students. We had time of laughter. Um, we finally got to the point to where we realized that we didn't have to finish the first book in the first year. I went to Chad one day and said, we can't do this this year. He said, let's slow down. So that's exactly what we did. So there's really no time limit on when you go through uh, the book. But I'm just going to add a few things to this list um, that Sylvia and Travis so well uh, already has discussed. There are different levels in ILC. There's the essential, which is the basic for people who don't speak uh, any English or very little English. Intermediate, introductions one and two. There's also the workplace, uh, one and two. And then the citizenship level, which we don't offer because we have not had anyone ask about that yet. 
However, the one important takeaway, among others, is that you don't have to be, quote, a teacher. In other words, you don't have to have been gone off, had to go to college to do this. Do you speak English? Do any of you speak English? Then you are all, you're qualified to, to come in here and facilitate an ILC class. They're lovely people. They are lovely people. Chad's message this morning was right on cue because our God, the Most High God, El Elyon, is still calling people to the banquet table. People, we have a banquet table right here at ILC to serve them at their needs of needing to learn to speak English as well as declaring the glory of God to them so they can come and partake of the salvation, the good news of the kingdom of God. ILC to me, International Learning Center here in LJ, is a missions-oriented environment. It's an endeavor. It's, it's a ministry. It's not just something we come and do and mark off of our list and feel good about it. But we need people. We need workers. I pray that you ask God to open your eyes and your hearts, that maybe he's asking you to come serve here on Sunday night. This ministry gives us an inroads to these people's lives whereby we can talk about the one true God and share the good news. Don't keep it to yourself. We have Mexicans, we have Guatemalans, we have Ecuadorians, we have, I don't know what, what else, Sylvia? Is there any more? <laughs> but let the love of Jesus shine through you. If you know him, you're a follower of him, Come serve him by serving others that he has at our back door. He has brought the mission field to us. You don't have to go across the world. It's right here in Ella J, Georgia. Come and serve by loving them. Thank you. Ms. Sheila, appreciate that. Frank, will you close us in prayer? Father, with the message that we have heard this morning, the pleas that we've heard, Lord, um, for the unreached people, God, we, may we not be guilty of neglect. Lord, I would pray that you would burden this fellowship, this body, with what is on your heart. And Lord, we heard the message, go to the highways and byways to compel them. Lord, may we be obedient servants. May we not come in, Lord, as those who are looking for the best place to sit. May we be humbled in our walk with you. May we look for those, Lord, that don't look like us. They don't dress like us. 
May we go after them, Lord. And use us, Lord, for your glory to compel men, women, boys, girls, people that we think, Lord, are the freaks of this world. They need Jesus. Help us, God. Help us, Lord, to be your Christ followers. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.